Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Jay Cranda, the online campus pastor for Rick Warren's Saddleback Church. He's also the co-host of the Social Media Church podcast. Jay joins us today to talk about what it's like being an online campus pastor, the importance of connecting online folks with offline in-person groups, and he's got some tips about how you can incorporate social media into your ministry. Well, my guest today is Jay Cranda, the online campus pastor for Saddleback Church. He's also the co-host of the Social Media Church podcast. How are you doing today, Jay? I'm doing pretty good, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, I am. I, 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 so your listeners don't know this, but I, I, I just became a dad of, of a third little kid, actually a girl. I have two boys. And so if I sound a little groggy, it's because I'm trying to drink coffee and just go. So, <laughs> apologize in advance. Well, in this episode, we'll come out towards the end of the year, and so hope everyone's having a great run-up to Christmas and an Advent season, but today is actually National Coffee Day. I don't know if you picked up on that, Jay. I know you're a big coffee guy, so happy oh. National Coffee Day to you. Oh, thank you. That is, I and, I, and I'm, an, I'm an avid lover, and I offend people this way. I hate hot coffee. I love only cold coffee. <laughs> that sounds good. Do you have a favorite uh, brand of cold brew? You know, I, I'm not like I, I probably just lean towards high quality, and so I tend to just um, and I'm not I'm not too snooty, but I I I definitely brew it through a toddy. I'm I'm definitely a big toddy guy, so I I, I like to slow brew it, and I and I do uh, only cold brew, and so but qual the type of qual I, I love I I definitely enjoy um, intelligentsia coffee mm-hmm. is is really good. I just tried blue bottle coffee. I was up in. Oakland and I tried that. That was good, but really expensive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So how about you? you, you... My, my favorite is actually Thanksgiving blend from Starbucks. And that is uh, only available two weeks out of the year from November 1st to November 14th. And I know that because my birthday is November 15th and they've always switched to Christmas blend that day. So I go in for my free cup of coffee and they have taken away my favorite <laughs> on that oh day. My, but that is, that is okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That so, made me a little sad. Yeah, it's okay. And uh, so yes, listeners, you have missed it already, but uh, I order about six bags a year and uh, keep them in storage <laughs> and try to make it last as long as I can. Can, so, <laughs> and uh, do you put anything in your cold brew, or are you just straight black no, cold brew? I am as I, I'm I I'm just straight up black. I get offended. I I love <laughs> I, I I actually really enjoy Starbucks's cold brew. Yeah, and um, but they sometimes they they used to with the iced coffee when I get iced coffee and I stop liking their iced coffee, but um, they used to do syrup and I just I hate it. There's nothing worse than ordering coffee halfway to work you drink it and you you taste syrup yeah and you're yeah. like i'm like what in the world no no no. i, I like it black but i will say it's got to be a good like bean for it to like taste good that way oh absolutely so you, you can't it can't just be anything yeah all right well let's uh jump into the questions that i normally start with and the first one is for folks that aren't aware of who you are or where you work will you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your role there at saddleback yeah yeah so I've been at Saddleback for about seven years. I, I've, I'm a Southern California guy all the way through. Um, spread out, I lived in a couple different places in Los Angeles County and in Orange County. And I, I got just, you know, for me, I got saved when I was um, uh, 13 years old. I got invited to a Saturday night service. I was in the midst of my dad had, was no was not engaged at that season of life. He had gotten remarried and was kind of distant. My mom was going through a... Um, 
uh, kind of a, not kind of, really a, a, a drug phase. And so me and my brothers kind of were kind of nomads in a lot of ways. We had some really good family, fringe family, like grandparents and aunts and uncles um, that kind of like held us together. But for the most part, we were kind of, we kind of did whatever we wanted. But it was in that season that I had some friends that did some stuff and started to drink and, and you know, smoke pot and different things. And I, I for some reason, it was one of those sovereignty things that I never really understood but as a set a 12, 13 year old, I kind of like went against it. And I was just kind of like, I don't want to do this. And I got invited to a church service. And I say that because obviously it's part of my journey, but ultimately my church family became my home. And um, I knew I experienced very quickly the power of a healthy church. Mm. And uh, that's why I went into full-time ministry and, and wanted to help the church. And because um, it was, you know, my pastor became my father and eventually one of my closest friends. And it, I, I know what the power of not only what Jesus does, but what the local church can do mm. and um, when it's executed right. And so I started going to a church in, um, in Southern California, in Bellflower. Um, I did youth ministry. That's what I did. We did a lot. Our church was on the fringes of a very large church in our kind of count and in our region, a Saddleback Church. Pastor Rick Warren was doing stuff with Purpose Driven Life and and, and Purpose Driven Church. And so our church did a lot of those things. So I was kind of knew it as that big church uh, down the ways. And um, around, uh, pretty much I got a, I had an opportunity. They hired a friend of mine at my local church that was about a church of 600. And my pastor told me if I wanted to do full-time ministry, I better look for something else because the last guy lasted 15 years and they didn't have enough money to hire me. <laughs> yeah. And so I was in my senior year of, 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 uh, college, um, at a local school, Biola. And pretty much I went and interned my last year and I was married and interning full time at Saddleback. And I learned a ton and that led to a job opportunity and did ministry stuff for the weekend, did just about everything on the communications team with like people interaction. And uh, one of the things that they had was the online campus. It was called the internet campus at the time. And I started dabbling and a couple of years ago, actually four years ago, they had a our online experience kept on growing and growing. And one of the things that really started to take off was groups with online groups. And so um, Saddleback was very strategic when we didn't want to just big a local uh, a local online ministry. We really wanted to think about like how do we like follow up with people that are far and close. And so we started to kind of get that four years ago, like how to do that wisely. Um, and, um, and so for the last four years, I've been able to be the full-time online pastor. And it is something that I will say every year looks a little different in a good way. We've learned, uh, we've done some really good stuff and done some really weird stuff. And, <laughs> uh, and, and part of that is just figuring out the space. I, I always call it frontier ministry because, you know, in the frontier, um, there's good and bad things happening and legends get started and then people run back and get scared. And some people are pioneers and get it. Yeah. And, and you know what I mean? And my hope is we're trying to pave the way. And it's right at that place now that I feel like the railroad tracks are going in and civilization's coming in. And so um, and so for, for us, we I, I love online ministry because I see it as an outreach and um, I see it as 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 a way to go to people where they're at. And less people are just coming into your building and online is, is an extension to be able to go to them and kind of clear through the fog and really get to them and tell them who we are. And so, um, yeah, so I, I, yeah, so it's, it's, for me, it's, it's been a journey. It's so much fun. Saddleback Church is an amazing church. So many different people 
that have been I've been blessed to be able to you know jump off their shoulders to be able to do what we get to do. But I, I the last thing I'll say about that, and we'll get in the nitty gritty. But I tell people over and over again when you hear online pastor, you go like, what in the world is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And trust me, I didn't go to seminary for that or college for that. That was not my intention. Um, but at the end of the day. I tell people I'm a small groups pastor with an online venue. And mm. so that's what I usually say. It's just like I I engage people. They respond via email, tweet, whatever. And I just try to say, hey, are you part of a community? And I either get them plugged in with our local church, with a local church, or I help them get plugged into one of our groups. That's really awesome. And that kind of leads to the next question that I ask is, are there any guiding principles for your work? Or if you had a mission statement that specifically applied to what you do, um, do you have anything that you really hold uh, in the front lines of what you do? Yeah, a couple things. Um, We're real big about going online to offline by hosting a group in their home. I know if I can get somebody who's watching online in a home with other people, a lot of the the weirdness of church online starts making sense because now you're just talking about house, church, or home group dynamics. And so online to offline by hosting a group, that's what my volunteers hear. That's how, kind of what is in bread. It's like laced in everything we do because if I can get them in a home with other people, however I figure that out from, hey, host a watch party or host a group in your home, or invite people over and have a meal and talk about, you know, this. If I can get that dynamic going, that's become that becomes like maybe the fuller expression of what biblical community looks like. And so that's that's a big one. The other thing is there I, I really believe I, I see it with, you know, what's happening now, what has happened in the world that I see my my kids being raised in, that there is this dense fog that sits over Christianity and you know, stuff on Netflix from stuff in the news is is misrepresenting what we believe. It's almost like we're going back to that first century Christianity of like, you know, are they camelists and yeah. what's going on? Like what's yeah. going on? And I think online is and you know this from what you do and 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 a lot of churches are are really figuring this out. And I'm really I, I see a I see a, a renaissance really in like churches leveraging technology, you know, in some really cool ways. But I think our ability to build like it, it, you know, it used to be like you stuck you stuck a um, you know a cross on top of a, a church and like everybody knew what you believed yeah. in a city. That is just not there anymore to to the same extent. And so I I just think online ministry and and that speaks into social media and what you put on on YouTube everything. I think those are ways to go to people. And so I see it's like it is an outreach, and you are hitting people that are unchurched. And I'm willing to just do just about anything to get in front of them to be able to really truly represent. And then lastly, I would say, I, I we just don't want people doing life alone. And so many people online are are lost and lonely. And you see it in the stories. I mean, you know, I, you see the pain. I was on Twitter this morning and just different stuff on moments that I can see. And yes, I still love Twitter. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just go, there's so many people that can't just go up the street to your church where you're at. And there's, but at the same time, there's so many people in your community and those people have an online expression, at least a large part of them. And I think that's, it's, you have an amazing ability to connect with somebody from anywhere. Now you got to have a strategy that aligns with your local presence. But, um, I just think why not harness something that is, is for the most part, super affordable because you don't have to lease space and all this different stuff. And so, um, yeah, so those are probably my big ones. 
Yeah, you talked there at the end about the advantages. Are there unique opportunities that come with offering worship experiences online? I I just think it's free. Uh, it's free um, um, room space. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know what I mean. At, yeah. at the end of the day, um, it's just like you know, like we we spend so much, and I, you know, people that know me, I mean, this oozes out of me. Like if you talk to me anywhere, because like I just you know, and part of it is I've had the luxury to really invest a lot of time into it while mm-hmm. it was still being developed. And so like now I'm able to, you know, I've really thought about it. So, um, you know, I really want people to see this not as a limitation, but as a positive. And so to me, it's, we spend so much money on, on renting a room, buying a building, mowing a lawn, sharpening pencils or getting mixed with the pencil work. There's so much money spent into getting our physical campus campus is ready or a location's ready if you're at a school. There's so much time and money invested. I just did uh, a local and I did this local expression of getting people far from a campus together in a gathering. And I did one up in the Bay Area um, in Northern California. And you know what I mean? Like I'm spending, you know, I had to rent the room, which was like 1200 bucks. And then I had to pay an audio crew to come in, which was like a thousand bucks. Yeah. And then I have to fly up that, you know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm $2,200 in and we had 90 people in the room. Now that is, that, that is a fine, that, that's a great investment. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's right. not, that's not terrible and that's not bad. That's a good thing. But you think about that. I have the ability and that's only, that was for an hour and a half experience. Now with an online, you're able to have a 24 seven experience if you do it on demand. And you're able to now run ads if you want 24-7. So no matter when people are on the internet or connected, that you're able to directly say, hey, we have an experience going on. And then that experience, if done right, at the end or at the front, you can say, hey, by the way, thanks for watching this. Hey, if you want to get plugged into your community, you know, let me know. You have something that can just churn. You know what I mean? It's just crazy. So that that I think is one of the biggest things. When you you host a podcast, obviously this is a podcast you and I both listen to. Uh, before we hit record, we were talking about all the podcasts we listen to. It's very yeah. similar. This idea of this on demand content, instead of having a one time conference that everyone flies to, you know there are people listening to this while mowing the grass or uh, cooking dinner or taking their dog for a walk, and it's available no matter what. So yeah, I can. Th- th- it is an incredible opportunity that we have, and so I want to ask you then about the flip side. Are there any inherent challenges or growth areas that you see to offering worship experiences online? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing, Dan, is just like the idea of thinking holistically about your plan. I think a lot of people just, you know. It's kind of the flip that because it's so easy to turn things on, a lot of times there isn't this this funneling persona kind of strategy developed. Mm-hmm. And so really thinking about what does it mean if somebody's watching online, most likely where are they watching from, who are they, and what would get them to give for them to give me their email address? And then if they give me their email address, what do I do? Do I just answer their email or do I answer their email by saying we're praying? And then do I ask something about, hey, do you want to get into community? And um, and then what do I do if somebody lives far? What do I do with somebody? And so I think a lot of people, and this is the dynamic that, and, and I think we're still, there's a lot of this figuring out, is that a lot of people, with, especially with online ministries, some people are megaphones. They're just yeah. megaphones to their local communities. And some people are really like global. And so, um, and then some are like sometimes, you know, um, figure out some kind of in-between. And so, I think one of the biggest limitations is just thinking about 
really thinking about it as a 24-7 service with next step because numbers of watchers is great. But even those at local churches, you know, you want true disciples. You want baptism. Salvations are great, and you want that. But one of the best ways to kind of test if that salvation kind of stuck in a lot of ways is baptisms. Mm -hmm. So I I think that there is, um, in church planning communities, talk about this, about this idea of, you know, adult baptisms is kind of one of the bigger, um, you know, people don't want to talk about that because they love the salvation count because you can get somebody to kind of commit to that. But can you actually get them to kind of publicly declare it? Not not to nullify salvation. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are saved that does that, that don't get baptized for all sorts of reasons. But I think churches online and those thinking about that, you've got to be thinking about the full discipleship thing, the whole, you know, we're not just called to come and see you. There's also the come and die. And so that's where I think sometimes it's hard to think about that strategy, um, especially because it's like you're sometimes you're so caught up in the whirlwind of your local that how are you really thinking going all the way down the line? And and I, I think the, the second thing, it's just I, I think you can get hung up on theology. And I think people and you you should care about your theology. But I think a lot of people get confused with with the language of online and they're like it's like trigger words of heresy yeah and you know what i mean like i i've had plenty of when i was doing my 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 ma at at my seminary you know what i mean i remember talking about with professors and some of the professors just honestly just didn't have thoughtful answers and it's because it was so new that you know what i mean it's it's you're allowing a couple stories of like people baptizing people through a skype conversation (laughs) everybody is doing that or and, but it's the theology can be, um, especially as a church, a lot of people in, um, from senior leadership all the way down to member, can there can be confusion of like, wait, what does that mean? Oh, can you do this? Can you do communion? Can you do baptism? Can you have membership? Um, how do you deal with b- benevolence? You know, all those things that are like both theology and, you know, kind of uh, ministry practice. Um, I think those can be limitations. And I would just say that, there are thoughtful answers to those. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that and that reinforces the importance of pushing people from online to offline to mm-hmm. connect with real groups of people, to connect with local churches, uh, local gatherings of people, uh, so that these in-person things can happen. And, and I will admit that one of my skepticisms of uh, an online worship experience that doesn't transition into offline, and this just comes from you know, this is my personal preference, uh, is I prefer live preaching. And so whether it's an online experience or even a multi-site uh, campus that beams in sort of their preacher from another location, that for yeah. me uh, can be a barrier. And so I was wondering if you could uh, share your experience with talking to folks about how, since this is uh, a, a podcast about preaching and sermons, yeah. how have people uh, experienced or struggled to experience uh, preaching just from what you've heard from your congregation? Well, it definitely is a little different because people are meeting on a device that is inherently not, you know, that requirement can't be met. So it, the atmosphere is a little different. And I think in my case, at least, I'm hitting a persona that that isn't necessarily the, the issue that they're thinking sure. about. You know, they're more coming in hurting or interested. And so the 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 way that the preaching is done or experienced it's that that's not necessarily something that is a hang up and because people it's online i think you're meeting people where they're at and what they're doing it's very much a you know they're jumping around on youtube 
they're jumping around on Netflix and whatever. And so for us in that context, it's not, we haven't, I haven't experienced anything like that. The only dynamic we have is we have live and on demand. And so in that case, some people really want the live. And so the live is done in our case, we do four live services a week Mm -hmm. and then the rest is on demand. But at the end of the day, you know, for us, you know, 70% of our audiences what in the first seven days watch this the um the on demand of our service not the live mm. and so for us and that's that's because at, i mean really uh live is a time zone p- specific thing it right. is inherently limited right and so um it is great and that's why i think live makes perfect sense when you're thinking about being a megaphone and you're reaching your local communities and there's a lot of ways you can leverage that and really i would all i would try to make the live if you can a very targeted message to those who live close. So like come down now you're on demand, you know, for us, you know, we have, you know, something like 120 countries that visit us in a given, you know, week. And so it's very spread out. Now that's only 20% of our total viewership. But for us, that whole dynamic of, you know, video and so forth isn't too much of a factor because they never know because they're just watching. Yeah. Um, And so we, cause we, we do, we do at our regionals, we do video teaching of, of our pastor. And so they would never know that in our case because of the way the sermon dynamic goes. But yeah. it is an interesting, the live on-demand dynamic is a, a thing because there's definitely people in the church online community that have a preference. They only do live or they only do on-demand. We don't do rebroadcast like in the sense of simulated live. And so that's not something that mm-hmm. we do anymore because we really love on-demand because a lot of our people are watching in community. And I know when you're watching in community, you don't want to say, let's start right at nine. You want to talk for a little bit and then start start the, the service. And so that is very specific to our persona, our people that are watching. Well, I have to say, I was blown away. We have a campus of Andy Stanley's church uh, here in the town where I'm at. And I went and visited and we watched a sermon from I think it was like four years ago. And at some point mm-hmm. in the message, he says, raise your hand if you've ever experienced and people in the room, like actually raise their hand. It's like, not only yeah. is he not there and can't see us, but it's, you know, four years ago that he asked this question, yet people were still engaged and participating. And, uh, you know, I will always prefer the in-person because of the incarnational nature. But I have to say that some of my resistance to that was a little bit brought back that day to see that, especially as you mentioned, like our culture, more we we experience more and more through screens, and so it becomes less of a distraction. I think. Yeah, it's it's. I was so I was so similar experience up in, you know, hundreds of miles away from our closest campus up in San Francisco area, and we we piped in the message. You know, I came in and said a hello, welcome them. We did live worship. Um, and then we threw to um, the message that week, which was uh, uh, Christine Kane was 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 teaching um, at our church. And so we showed that message and we had 90 people in a room um, in this hotel room. You know what I mean? This hotel meeting room. And the same thing. They were laughing and interjecting like she was there. Um, obviously, there's ways you have to you have to make sure that that's done right. We think a lot about the way that's captured. But, yeah, I, I'm I'm always curious, you know, you know, for for our church. It works really well, I would say, because we have a very, and I, I think that's the thing. It works better when you have premier teaching. Sure. And yeah. you know what I mean? And, and I say that in a very, like, I'm trying to be nice, but like, 
our, my pastor is better teacher than me. And I would never try to, I think he has a better gifting in that, in that arena, no doubt. And so I'm super curious because I see that with the Christian community, like, like we love certain teachers and we listen to those podcasts and we listen to those people. We don't listen to everybody in between. And I'm really curious as a generation continues to get older, like how that works with local church, because I think, I I think that there is some, the more you're connected to the world, the more you know of that higher caliber. And I, and it's definitely something that I notice with people coming to my community is that like, they just love pastor Rick and the, and their teaching, his teaching is so practical and speaks to where they're at. And so that dilemma of having, you need to have a local expression. There's no doubt. And, and local teaching is valuable and, and needed, but that dynamic of how do you compete almost with like, you have like these fortune 100 companies of teaching. Right. Yeah. And so like, it, it is an interesting dynamic, and I know probably you've talked about this on your podcast, so I, I probably just need to go back and, and listen. So, yeah. Well, you, uh, you, well, I've mentioned it a couple times. You co-host the Social Media Church podcast with Neil Smith. Y'all do some really great work. Uh, it's a wonderful mixture of on-topic and off-topic conversation, so it's cool to check in with you guys no matter what you're talking about. Uh, but what are some common mistakes that you tend to see ministries make when they try to jump into social media or they try to jump back in? Maybe they're dusting off the Facebook profile they put up in you know 2011. Yeah, well, I I think you know for me it's it's they usually hand it to like the guy with the glasses or maybe it's over IT or the youngest person on staff. Yeah, and I think that that can make total sense. I think um, age is not a factor anymore, mm. um, really, with this stuff. It's you know there's a lot of people on our staff that I know that are that get it way more than me, and it's because they've you know. They're just dig- they're digital savvies. They were the first ones to get a Macintosh. They were the first, you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they, a lot of those things, or like m- maybe like they changed over to Android because they love the complexity of what they could do on the like the, the if you're a digital savvy that that's a generate. I mean that's been going on for you know forty years or more. You know what I mean? Like so to me, it's more about a disposition than, than anything. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, so I would say think about thoughtfully who you're handing that off and give them vision. And, get, and I would say the biggest thing is let them know that that you want these channels. And this is the, the bigger thing, handing it off to the right person. Second, giving them vision. And the vision is how do you align your online presence with your vision for your church? And that's a big distinction. A lot of people just post, well, I'm going to post five photo quotes from you know the book of Psalms this week. And you're like, well, are you teaching about Psalms? That's <laughs> right. Right. No, well, why? Well, like, why not? Like, why not on Monday? Like, do a uh, have the pastor shoot a three minute action plan video that you post on your Facebook page that are based off the week of message. Tuesday, ask a question that's a follow up. Wednesday, do like a prayer request about praying for that. Thursday, point to the weekend. You know, think about a posting strategy that aligns with your church's vision. And so, it's not just you know nothing. And and I, I think there's so many cool things. I love seeing churches, like especially with preaching, with like real-time engagement, even from like testing out Facebook Live with their preaching and like an after-message stuff. I think there's some cool stuff that uh, churches are doing. And I love I love it when the senior pastors and or just the teaching team, when they directly go from teaching on the weekend and they say something. I was talking to my church that I grew up at. I said, like, you know— I was talking to my, my pastor, Kenny. I was like, you know, like what you should do is like, um, you know, you should say, hey, by the way, 
I'm going to be posting something on Facebook on our Facebook page to follow up to check in on this. And I need you to respond because I'm going to check. I'm going to give our feedback to next week's message, like somehow connecting it that way that I think it's just a resource to for spiritual discipline and, you know, to kind of make sure it sinks in and aligning all those things that sometimes it's like people don't think about it that way. They just think about we got to fill content. No, no, no. Align it with everything you're doing. You have a way to interact with your community 24 seven. And so both in email and Facebook and all these things. And so why not leverage that to make make sure that the message um, that you're teaching kind of seeks in even more. And you could do that in all these cool ways. Yeah, we end up with sort of the church version of posting photos of your lunch. It's like this just happens to be in front of me and it kind of looks sort of interesting. So I'll just take a photo and post it. It's like, you know, (laughs) there's no strategy. Oh, yeah. The whole like, oh, it makes and I'm not I love the word of God. Trust me, I I do. But when you do like a verse after verse after verse after verse of like, what do you th- you think in that verse every day is just going to sit there and like spiritually knock them awake? Mm. No, no, like think about you got to contextualize it the same way a good teacher contextualizes it. You know what I mean? Like you got to do that visually in a, a couple different ways, and you got to you got to throw up your plan. It's that you know I mean like and there's I know there's a lot of different ways. To, to preach and teach, but you know, like you got, it's like that, you know, was it hook, look, book, took or whatever? You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. I, that was like my, uh, my seminary teacher would be very happy on that one. Uh, but like, like that, you got to do the same methodology with, with your, with your social posts. Right. You can't just do the same thing. Now it might look a little different. You can do it in a seven day plan or a, or a five day plan, but don't be, uh, don't, don't do the insanity thing where you post the same ver- the same thing every day and thinking you're going to expect a different result. Like you got to you got to change it up. Right, absolutely. And you uh, and your co-host Niels have been part of developing a new resource for the church, a new tool, uh, a TV app. I wrote about it on my blog uh, earlier this year, and so I'm excited to have you here. What would you like to share about this uh, new project you're working on? Yeah, and, th- and thanks, man, for for sharing that and and talking about that. Yeah, we, we've been working hard. You know, we 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 really believe um, both because Neil's coming from online background and, and me doing online ministry. I, I see these TV apps as as a huge opportunity because um, they're living room experiences at the end of the day, and um, there's something amazing about a TV app like a an Apple TV app, an Amazon Fire TV app, um, and a, a Roku app because they're closed system. There's less that can go wrong. So a lot of times when people are watching, I'm like, well, this, and you find out it's a browser operating system variable. They're, these TV apps tend to be more enclosed and easier to manage. And they're leave, living room experiences. And you see the growth of the market, especially as we see more people cutting cords and moving away from cable boxes and just having a something like an Apple TV that does everything, um, I think is, is it's a huge market. And churches getting in on that. Um, I think is a huge opportunity. And for us, we know that we wanted to provide a very uh, easy way to get on all of them. And so years ago, it was so expensive. And and so we started figuring out with some friends, like, how can we do this on our, on our own? And so, um, yeah, so tvapp.church is what it is. And the way we work is that there's no... There's no entry fee. You don't pay any type of setup fee. All there is is a monthly subscription. And so you can get on Apple TV alone for as as cheaply as 75 bucks a month. So 75 bucks a month, you can get on demand, you can get on Apple TV. And then we have some uh, 
the, you know, the, we, we have an option that goes up to 250 a month where you can get all three apps with live and all these other things. And we're not just thinking about that. We're actually, I, I probably shouldn't even talk about this. We, we've been talking about getting a Google Cardboard feature where people can watch your service in like a 3d experience and so there's some cool stuff that we're working on if you're interested and i'll just go to tvapp.church see what see what 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 it's about i would love to talk to you individually about a little bit what what our vision is but um we have a way to get on apple tv amazon fire and roku and if you want to check out any of the apps you can actually download the social media church app um on those platforms just type in social media church and you can kind of see what we do but yeah we're really exciting it's fun being a an app development company. We've been doing this for eight months and we're really getting to a place where we're growing and um, it's it's been a fun journey. Well, before we let you go, are there any other resources out there, podcasts you recommend, churches that you would recommend folks follow uh, where they can see uh, solid examples of churches that are doing online or social media well? Yeah. So first off, if if you go to um, my website, uh, jcranda.com, on um, I have a one-on-one course on how to launch church online. Um, and I actually explain how your church can do it for free. I, I will also say, check out searchable.church. Um, that, that is a great resource. It's uh, Christian Vision does free Google grants for your church. You can get $10,000 a month. They will actually set you up and manage the ads themselves. Um, they're, a, they're a ministry that does that. So go to searchable.church. That's a great resource. And then I would check out, definitely check out um, Saddleback Church. Um, um, go to saddleback.com forward slash online. Check out Community Bible Church. Check out Westside Family Church. There's a couple other amazing churches. Northview Church, um, that they do some amazing things. Every church does it a little bit different. It has its own flavor. But the reason is because every church is reaching their own uh, community. And they have their um, their own expression and strategy. And so it's okay to be different. You need to be different. But I think that there are some common techniques and resources to use. And so especially when you got the church online platform, that is a free platform. And I explain on, on, on my uh, free online course how to set that up. I, I have some screenshots of how to do that. So th- that, that's what I would recommend. Awesome. And if there are any folks out there that want to get in touch and say hi or just follow your work online, uh, where's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I would say Twitter, man. I, I am avid Twitter. So Jay Cranda, um, J-A-Y-K-R-A-N-D-A. And so Jay Cranda, tweet me, interact with me. That's probably the best way. And then I have some more contact stuff up on, on my site directly. Great. Thank you so much, Jay. We really appreciate your time and all your wisdom and experience today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.